You can have a seat this morning. Good morning. Good morning. It doesn't sound like a group of people who had a one cup of coffee lead on the first service. You have to wake up a little bit this morning, okay? Because I'm gonna I'm gonna need you to stay with me. My name is Brett, as Mike said. Um, glad to be here this morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to the Book of Galatians, that's in the New Testament, and find Chapter Five. We're gonna be there in a minute. We're gonna read together. Um, but first, I want to um, start with this. Um, when Rachel and I were first married, we've been married about four years. We were in that really sweet, like two income, no kid phase of parenting. We actually had so, anybody remember that phase? You've been there, right? You're there. We actually had so much free time. We were like, hey, let's actually buy an animal that pees on the floor. Like this will be awesome because we can clean it up. Um, let's buy something that requires us to go take a walk every single day. So we got a dog. We got this dog. Um, this is Jaeger. Um, he's over on the right with me. And that's him and his brother in the top left. Um, Jaeger's a German short hair pointer. Um, and so, because like we weren't going to do a small dog in my house, you know what I mean? We're going to do a big dog. So, um, we got this German short hair pointer, his name's Jaeger, and we got him when he was six months old and he was crazy. But this dog is bred and made to, um, hunt birds, right? So this is a, a gun dog. And for those of you that aren't familiar with it, the, the, a jo- uh, short hair pointer, the way it works is the dog walks out in front of you as you walk through a field and they run back and forth like crazy. They'll stay 30, 40 yards in front of you and just smell on the ground. And when they find a bird, they'll kind of corral that bird to get it to a spot where it's kind of in a bush or it's, it sits down tight. And then the dog will, will go on, they call it going on point. It just, every muscle in that dog's body will just freeze and lock up and he just won't move. And then you come behind or another dog comes through and kind of flushes the bird out. And, and Jaeger was trained and he would not move from that spot until either the bird moved or it was flushed and, and shot, and then he would bring it back to you. And that was just inside of his nature. The, the crazy thing about um, German shorthair pointers and Jaeger was from the minute they're born, they just know how to do this pointing thing. And so they have all these attributes that make them great dogs, but the, the essential core of it is um, from the time they're born, they know instinctively to just point at game. And so um, the breeder that we bought Jaeger from had a picture of him, a whole litter of puppies, Jaeger and all his brothers and sisters. There's probably six or eight of them. And he had on a fishing pole a pheasant wing. He's kind of hanging it over them. And all those little puppies are on point because it's just in their nature to point at birds. And they have all these other attributes that they're bred for. Um, Jaeger was extremely smart. Um, he's, they, they can solve problems in the field on their own and try to corral game. They, Jaeger was um, crazy high-energy dog. Um, they are just built to be able to go and go and go. When you hunt, you walk miles and miles and miles out. And we hunted in eastern Colorado um, in Nebraska. And he just run back and forth in front of you all day long. He was strong, super strong in his chest and just a ton of muscle to be able to run through really thick, heavy cover that's in um, some of these fields. Um, and extremely driven. We would, we would finish a day of hunting with Jaeger and out in these fields, um, there's a lot of cactus and, and burrs and thorns and stuff. And Jaeger's paws would just be bloody with cactuses and stuff in his paws. And he would just keep going. I mean, I have to stop him and like take the cactuses and stuff out. Then they're in my hands. They're all over the place. And he would just keep going. He was just so driven to hunt. All of those things make Jaeger a great hunting dog. But the reality of it is, and maybe hunted like 10 or 12 days a year. The rest of the time, Rachel and I lived in a condo like in the city, right? And so all these things become a little bit problematic. The, the smarts that he had to like try to figure out where the birds are and to corral them. Actually, he spent most of his time using those in our house, trying to figure out how to get pizza off the countertop, right? Um, and the energy that he had was 
a problem in a three-story condominium. I mean, it would just be, we come home from work and he would just run up and down the steps all three stories all day long until we took him out for a walk. And then when you take him for a walk, the strength becomes a problem because I just have this vision etched in my mind of Rachel, very pregnant with our first child and Jaeger at the end of the leash. And we had the longer leash that, that you know, let him run around until it got to the end. And then it just like pull your arm out of socket um, while he's dragging you down the street. Um, and and then the, the driven thing was really awesome in the field, right? But there's a very fine line between being driven and just being stubborn as the day is long. And that dog was so stubborn, he would just wear us out at home. And so we decided, you know, Jaeger's got a lot of really great characteristics that make him a great hunting dog, but we got to bring these things in under control a little bit. Like we got to make these things strengths and not, and not weaknesses. And we got to be able to manage this dog every day. So we sent him away for six weeks to, a German short hair pointer boarding school where they basically tried to take that nature inside that dog and carve it down to make it something that was controllable and manageable. And I mean, if you're like me and you're like, man, if there was a a six week school for my kids where we could do that, this would be useful. And a lot of us try to manage our life like a trained hunting dog. We think Inside my nature, there's some things that are really good and like the really good things about me. And then there's some things that maybe aren't so good. And so some of us, when we Christianize this thought process, we say, man, what Jesus is going to do is Jesus is going to help take my nature that's inside of me. And he's going to help kind of sand away and get rid of the rough spots. And then he's going to help kind of train and control the good things. And so then as I see Jesus do things, I'm going to do things like Jesus did. And and the things that Jesus said not to do, I'm going to try not to do. And so he's going to help me with in my nature, just kind of get that refined and bring it corralled and bring it under control like a trainer would train a dog to, to listen to all the commands and kind of control their nature. And I just want you to know, if you approach your Christian life that way, what we're going to see today is that that's a really, really bad way to live your life. It's not just a bad way. It's actually destructive to you and I is what we're going to see here. And what we're going to learn today is to reevaluate our nature and to not see it as something that actually is kind of we're well equipped and we just need it to be refined. But we're going to see that the nature that's actually inside of us is bad and broken and destructive. And what we actually need is a new way of living, a completely different way of living that's not just refining our old nature, but it's actually killing that old thing and living in a completely new and different way. We're going to do more than just train it to death. We're actually going to kill it and start from scratch. So Galatians chapter 5, let's read together in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. I want you to just take those few words, those four words, um, three words, four words, walk by the Spirit. Highlight or underline those four words, walk by the Spirit. That's the point today. When we leave here, what we're going to learn is that walking in our flesh is death, but walking by the Spirit, and that is a command, that is the way to life and peace. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. You just need to know that if you're a follower of Jesus, there's kind of two separate natures inside of you, and one is an absolute enemy to the other. There's no middle ground. Verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, 
enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I have warned you, just as I have warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We're going to start today by just resetting our perspective of what the Bible calls our flesh. And what we're going to see is that our nature isn't equipped to be what God wants us to be, but actually it's actively working against us. It's not neutral. It's negative. It's fighting against what God wants to do. And the, Paul says he calls that part of our nature our flesh. So let's define this. What is our flesh? Your flesh and my flesh is my fallen, ego-driven self that is always focused on self-preservation, self-indulgence, and self-sufficiency. Your flesh and my flesh is my fallen, ego-driven self, always focused on self-sufficiency, self-indulgence, and self-preservation. Now, the problem for most of us is we actually don't see it that way very often. So when we talk about Paul's going to contrast walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit. So if my flesh is my ego-driven self that's focused on self-preservation and self-indulgence, then walking in the flesh is this. Walking in the flesh is living day to day, allowing that corrupted, ego-driven, self-focused self allowing that to control my attitudes, my actions, and my responses to the world around me. Walking in the flesh is allowing that ego-driven self to control my attitudes, actions, and responses to the worlds around me. Here's the reality for most of us. We're okay with that. Most of us are okay letting our, our flesh self dictate how we respond, how we act, and how we feel about the world around us. And the reason we're okay with that is we don't have a full understanding of what our self, what our flesh really is. And this goes contrary to everything you will hear today about you as a person. Because the cultural trend is to say that, that everybody has goodness and value inside them and that, that people are basically good, right? And we're going to talk about something today that's going to kind of fly in the face of that a little bit because what we're going to actually say is my flesh is dirty and rotten and is bad. Here's just a, a quick overview. This isn't an exhaustive list, but here's an overview of what the Bible says about the reality of your flesh and mine. And this is why it's so dangerous for us to let that control how we respond and react and feel about the world around us. The biblical reality of your flesh is this. My flesh is actually an, an enemy of God. Galatians 5:17 we read it they are oppo- you're the flesh and the spirit are opposed to one another they're fighting each other Paul who wrote most of the New Testament actually says that our flesh has nothing good in it He goes on to say that in our flesh there is no way that it would be possible for us to please God and ultimately he says our flesh that flesh life ultimately leads to death for all of us does that feel like how you assess yourself when you wake up in the morning? Because it's not for me. I mean, I wake up in the morning and I feel pretty good about who I am. 
and what I do and how I need to go about my day. Most mornings I don't wake up with a sense of weight that, hey, if I let my natural responses control the world around me, I'm living as an enemy to God. I'm living according to a, a flesh that has nothing good in it that I'm living a broken life. And here's why most of us struggle, right? Most of us struggle to have an accurate assessment of our flesh. Most of us struggle to really recognize these realities because our flesh just doesn't always show up that way. Our flesh can kind of show up in two different ways. And I'm going to use a little illustration like this. Um, you know, sometimes you're, it's late at night, you're hungry, and you're like, man, I just got to bounce into Taco Bell real quick. And when you pull into Taco Bell at like 11 o'clock at night, you know exactly what you're getting, don't you? You're rolling in there. It's going to be dirty. It's going to be gross. It's not good, but you're so desperate that you're like, this bean burrito is awesome, right? You just think it's the greatest thing ever. And, and, and you're just, you have no sense of reality around you. Of like, you can't assess what's good or bad. Desperation drives you to Taco Bell all the time. That's how you end up there. Except for the weird few people from first service who are like, I love Taco Bell. Um, here's the deal. Sometimes your flesh shows up like Taco Bell and you say something or you react some way and you're like, whoa, that was really bad. Just on its face, you don't have to think about it. You just know that was a really ugly part of me. Anybody else? You ever been there? I can't believe I just, I can't believe those words came out of my mouth. I can't believe that thought just went through my head. I can't believe I just did that. That's so repulsive and bad and wrong. And you know it. But the reality of it is most of the time for a lot of us are, especially as like, you know, good American Southern cultural Christian people, the perfect analogy is Chick-fil-A, right? It's like the opposite of Taco Bell is what we think. You show up, it's clean. The people there are so nice. This last week we went to Chick-fil-A. Like I ordered the wrong drink. Lady's like, uh, can I, would you like to trade this out for something else? Yes, I would. That would be great. My pleasure. They're so kind. And like the line is a mile long and everybody's just happy to be there because the people are so kind. And to make it even more like our, our flesh as like good Christianized people, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. And it's just like most of us where we just kind of put that other stuff aside for like one day of the week and we'll come here and we'll dress it up and we'll be these people here. And then on Monday, it looks a little bit different, but not so different as to be Taco Bell. Like we think it's something different, but it's really not. It's still flesh and the jealousy and the anger. Maybe we learn to control it. Maybe we learn to suppress it, but it still pops up inside of us, but we can kind of clean it up on the outside a little bit. And really it's just the same thing. John Piper, who's a pastor who's way too intelligent to dumb something like that down to Chick-fil-A versus Taco Bell, said this about how our flesh shows up. Flesh is any human action or achievement without dependence on the Holy Spirit. It might be as gross as child abuse or as moral as trying to keep the Ten Commandments. Self-reliant commandment keeping and child abuse would both be flesh because they're not done flowing from dependence on the Holy Spirit. Hey, listen, I don't care if you came in here today and the last thing that you kind of remember about your life is that you are just a total Taco Bell gross mess of flesh. Or you came here and you spend enough time around church and around God's people and around this book that you understand how we should act and how we shouldn't act. And so you kind of dress it up and make it a little bit cleaner, but it's still flesh because you're doing it on your own. I don't care which end of that extreme you come to. The Bible says the flesh has to die. And that's like a violent picture. 
And, and I, I, I don't want to be too um, shocking with it, but I think there's a reason that Paul, at the end of Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, says, those who belong to Christ, look at the words he used here, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So we have to start with this today. If you cannot give an, an assessment of your flesh that says, my flesh is so dirty, rotten, and stinky that it actually has to die, then we're going to miss out on the rest. So it just has to be there, just a sober reminder that our flesh has to die. So walking in the flesh, Paul says, is death. Can you say it with him? Walking in the flesh is death. Walking in the spirit is life and peace. Walking in the flesh is death. Walking in the spirit is life and peace. All right, if you remember that, that's like 90% of what you need to know today. That's bite-sizable enough that we can remember. Let's talk a little bit about what walking in the spirit is and why it's so important. First of all, walking in the spirit, Paul in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 gives what I believe is the most important command in the entire New Testament. Because if we miss this, we've missed everything. When he says in Galatians 5, 16, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And that's why I had you highlight that, because I think that is the most important command there is to give to any follower of Christ. Walk by the Spirit. Why do I think it's so important? Because the Holy Spirit has a massive job in your life. The Holy Spirit has a massive role to play in all of our lives. Here is, again, a brief overview, not a detail, but a brief overview of all the things that the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit does in our life. We've covered a lot of these in the last few weeks as we've talked about the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes us spiritually alive. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us power. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals truth to us. The Holy Spirit is the one who reminds us of God's word. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us fight sin in our life. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us. The Holy Spirit is the one who reminds us we're God's children. The Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us and makes us more like Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us how and what to pray. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit is the most important command in the Bible because the Holy Spirit has a massive opportunity and a massive role to play in your life. But what is walking by the Spirit? We're going to use this working definition. Walking in the Spirit means to live in constant fellowship with, obedience to, and dependence upon the Holy Spirit. You're walking in the Spirit when you have and every day, always on connection to the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. You're walking in the Spirit when you hear the Spirit's voice and you decide, I'm going to obey what the Spirit is telling me. You walk in the Spirit when every day when you wake up and one of the first prayers you pray is, God, if I'm not connected to your Spirit today, I am dead. It is done. But I am so dependent on you. God, I need you to live through me because I can't live in my flesh because we know that walking in the flesh is what? Death. You're slower than first service, but you have more sleep and more coffee. So pick it up a little bit, all right? What's the result of walking in the Spirit? The result of walking in the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. What's the next one? Peace. Let's talk about peace for a minute. When we live 
in constant fellowship with, constant obedience to, and constant dependent upon the Spirit, we experience life and peace. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. Romans chapter, or Romans chapter 6, verse 8. The mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Let's talk about peace for a moment. In John chapter 14, when Jesus is talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit, he's going to say something about the Holy Spirit giving us peace. And I think understanding the peace of Jesus is critical because we live in a world today that is experiencing an absolute peace deficit. You realize Mike was talking about graduation was this weekend. Do you realize that um, kids who have graduated high school this year, from the day they were born until now, they've, we have been in constant armed military conflict for their entire lives. Like that's a reality that shaped their whole worldview is that we've been essentially at war for over 18 years now. Politically, we live in a world where social media and hundreds of cable channels have created a certain um, vitriol and anger towards anybody who has a different viewpoint than us. It's just we live in a more divided society than we've lived in in a very, very long time. But not just politically is there a lack of peace. There's a massive lack of internal, personal peace. Anxiety disorder is the most common mental illness in America. It affects over 40 million Americans, which is about 20% of us. 20% of the people in this room probably are dealing with some level of an anxiety disorder. People with general anxiety disorder have been described this way. They feel anxious most days and often struggle to remember the last time they felt relaxed. As soon as one anxious thought is resolved in their mind, another appears about a different issue. Not just anxiety. In 2017, over 47,000 Americans took their life through suicide. We're living in the middle of one of the greatest suicide crises this country has ever seen from 19. 99 to 2017, the rate of suicide skyrocketed over 33%. Um, we actually have the highest rate of suicide in this country in the last 50 years. And I, I just want you to know there is a high likelihood that there's someone in this room today, in this service today, who struggles with suicidal thoughts. And I want you to know, number one, you are not alone in that battle. And one of the most powerful things that can happen in your life is to be in a community of people where you can actually articulate, these are the thoughts I have, this is the struggle I have, and you can bring that darkness into the light. And one of the reasons my wife and our family have been at this church for seven years is because we believe Grace Point is a church that helps foster those types of real, authentic conversations. And I encourage you to find someone to have that type of a conversation with. Anxiety disorder, suicide, actual political wars, anger so much um, in our culture of divisiveness today. It's a lack of peace. And look at what Jesus said about peace. John chapter 14, verse 26. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He'll bring to remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I give to you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives peace, do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. 
I want us to talk for a little bit today about the peace that Jesus gives. Um, Jesus uses a word here, and peace is actually a really terrible translation of the word that Jesus uses. When we think of peace, we think about a lack of conflict, right? Um, But the word Jesus used is so far more comprehensive than just a simple lack of conflict. He used a word that we're probably um, actually familiar with some. He uses the word called um, shalom. And actually today, even in Israel, this is still a common greeting. Shalom be with you. Peace be with you. But, but the word shalom means a lot more than just lack of conflict be with you. The word shalom actually carried in, in the Hebrew mind and still to this day and in Jesus' mind, it, it, you, it's a connotation of um, being whole or complete within a general sense of wellness in all of life. Um, one word that we might use would be the word flourishing. I, I wish you wholeness. I wish you wellness. I, I'm leaving with you wholeness. I'm leaving with you wellness. I'm leaving with you flourishing in all of life. Flourishing, not like the world gives flourishing, but flourishing for any circumstance is what Jesus is saying. And the way he says this is, I give you peace, peace not like the world gives. And let's just be honest today, there's a level of peace, there's a level of shalom that everybody has access to and that you can't have in this world. That's, that's true. Most of the world's peace comes, at least in my life, when all the boxes and the arrows I can check are green and kind of up and to the right. When, uh, relationship with my wife, we didn't fight today, so that's, boom, we're flourishing so far this morning, right, babe? Um, that's, that's a win, Right? <laughs> Right? Hey, when the kids are good, check. Flourishing. When the bank account's good, check. Flourishing. When the job's good, check. Flourishing. When the doctor report is good, check. Flourishing. And you can find some modicum of peace in this world if you can align like all 18 boxes at one time to be green. But the reality of it is that hardly ever happens for most of us, right? That there's very few days where I can just take an assessment and be like, man, Ferguson family's crushing it today. We're good to go. Most days, there's at least something that's like red and down and to the left. And when Jesus says, I came to give you peace, not like the world gives, what he's saying is, I came to give you peace, wholeness, flourishing in every circumstance. When the marriage is falling apart and when it's rough, you can have my peace. When the kids are breaking your heart, you can have my peace. When the doctor report is not good, you can have my peace. When the job situation is uncertain, you can have my peace. My peace I give to you, my shalom I give to you, my wellness, my flourishing I give to you, not like the world gives it. Don't let your heart be troubled in this world. How does the Holy Spirit factor into this? The Holy Spirit gives us peace in two ways. First of all, the Holy Spirit gives us peace by giving us a right relationship with God. And I just want to make this very clear today. If you need more shalom, more flourishing, more wholeness in your life, and you've never come to a place, a time, a reference point where you know, I've turned from my old flesh life because walking in the flesh is what? Death. If you've never come to a point where you turned around from the death and walking in the spirit is life and If you've never come to a place where you've made that decision, then I just want you to know the peace that you need isn't really available to you without a right standing and a right relationship with God. The good news is that is available to you. 
and that's available to everyone. Um, Every now and then I'll see this uh, cheesy Christian like bumper sticker or t-shirt. I'm not a bumper sticker guy, so I tend to think most of them are cheesy, except for Denver Broncos bumper sticker. Always room for that, right? Um, But there's this Christian bumper sticker that says like, no Jesus, like K-N-O-W, no Jesus, no peace. K-N-O-W, no Jesus, no peace. And then like, no Jesus, N-O, Jesus, no peace. Have you ever seen that thing before, right? Like, look, not a great t-shirt, but it's not wrong, right? It's not wrong. It's actually exactly right. Without a relationship with Jesus in your life, there's no peace. And the Holy Spirit gives us a relationship with Jesus, and that gives us access to peace. Now, the reality of it is, that helps settle the ultimate issue of our soul and our soul's relationship with God. And we need that peace. That is the most ultimate peace that every single person needs to leave here knowing that they have access to today. But we need more than that, right? You, we actually need more than just knowing our soul and our eternity is settled because here's what's going to happen. Tuesday morning about 9 o'clock, you're going to roll into work. You're going to be dog tired. You're going to have yelled at the kids that morning, gotten a fight with your wife, and you're going to hate your job. And you're going to go, what does my having my eternity settled really help me with at 9.05 on Tuesday morning? The Holy Spirit helps us there too because he gives us a right perspective of the world. We access the peace of Jesus, the shalom of Jesus, by having a right perspective of the world. Jesus gave these words to his disciples as he was literally on his way walking to the cross. And I just want you to know that if you are walking to your own personal cross today, somehow, in some circumstance that's not ideal, that's hard, that's difficult, I want you to know the Holy Spirit says you can have peace in that moment too because he reminds you that you're a child of God and there is a loving Father who is in control of all things. All right, walking in the flesh is? Walking in the Spirit is life and peace. Let's talk about the outcome of peace. Think about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Anybody know the next one? Patience. You guys are preaching this whole sermon yourselves. Patience. I love that patience is the next word in our list of fruits of the Spirit. Because patience is simply this. Patience is an outward expression of my inward peace. Patience is an outward expression of my inward peace. The first three fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, are actually all inward realities. They're all things that we experience in our hearts and in our minds. But as we start to talk about things like patience, kindness, and self-control, then we start to talk about what happens when we have love, joy, and peace settled in our heart and mind internally. Then outwardly, I start to look a whole lot more patient, a whole lot more gentle, and a whole lot more self-controlling than I was before. Patience is actually um, also not a very good word of what's being used here. If you could see this word in the Greek, it's actually two words that are combined together. It's the word long and the word angry. Long anger, which I felt good about when I saw this because I was like, I can be angry for a long time sometimes. But it's actually the opposite meaning. It means going for a long time before being angry. Some of you have a word in your Bible, your fruit of the Spirit list in your Bible is translated love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And that's the word. Long-suffering is the outward expression of an inward peace. 
I think we lose our ability culturally to be long-suffering because it's so easy to opt out of anything that annoys or bothers or frustrates us. Like the annoying person on social media, unfollow, check, whatever, mute, gone. The annoying political view that you can't stand to hear, just go to the other station, the one that reaffirms whatever view you have 24 hours a day. Boom, problem solved. Everything's great, right? But long-suffering, Robbie Galati said this, patience, long-suffering, in my opinion, is the greatest outward indication of one's sanctification. Hey, parents, how does that make you feel this morning? Patience, long-suffering, is the greatest outward expression of our sanctification. And we only have access to long-suffering when we have access to peace, when we know that we are settled in our relationship with God and we have the right view of the world. All right, walking in the flesh is death. Walking in the Spirit is life and peace. So here's the question. Caleb Gabrelli texted me earlier this week and said, I can't wait to hear the three steps to walking in the spirit. Because the real question is, how do I do this, right? Well, spoiler, there aren't three steps for this. But I have been thinking this week about what are some practical things we can do to become people who truly do walk in the spirit? Because I want to experience life and peace every day of my life. So how do I do that? How do I walk in the spirit? I got... Three things for you. Four things. Number one, be in constant communication with the Spirit. Just be always on in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. We know how to do always on. Everybody in this room is always on for something. Some of you wake up every day and you're on for work. I mean, you love your job, you love your career from the time the sun comes up to the time the sun goes down. Like work is what you focus on. It's what you think about. By the way, I work for somebody like that. I mean, God bless you if you're like me. And it's just the emails, the the constant stream, just all the time, all the time, all the time. Some of you are always on to your family. You live your whole life wanting to make sure your kids are doing everything that they want to do and can do in life. You're pushing them in school. You're pushing them in sports. Everything you can do, just your whole world revolves around your kids. Um, some of you have hobbies, different things that you're just always on to all the time. Everybody, we understand always on. Social media, always on. Email, always on. But for some reason, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we kind of adopt this like Sunday on. Like Sunday and Wednesday on. I can be on some and off some. Maybe, maybe I'm on in the morning, but then by the time I go from whatever I do in the morning, my routine with reading the Bible to the time I walk into the office, I flip the off switch. And we need to learn how to be always on with the Holy Spirit, that he's with us every moment of every day, speaking us to us every moment of every day. And that leads to the next point. Not only do we walk in the Spirit when we're kind of always on in our communication with the Spirit, we walk in the Spirit when we obey what the Spirit is telling us to do promptly. Obey the Spirit promptly. Let me give you a real-life example of how this works, okay? So if you're going to get up and teach about something like this, you're going to think about it for days, weeks ahead of time. So I've been, this has been rattling around in my mind this week. And there's a guy at my office. Um, we'll call him Bob. And he's super annoying, super needy, doesn't have the respect of the people around us. Um, 
he's, he's just one of those guys that just kind of gets under my skin. Anybody, anybody work with Bob? You work with him too. He's at your office, right? Some of you are like, Bob's my kid. I know. <laughs> Some of you are married to Bob. <laughs> and so this week, Bob was doing Bob things and being annoying. And I'm standing with a group of people in the, in the break room. And Bob comes up. And everybody's kind of laughing, and it was relatively good-natured, but not really. There's truth underneath it all, of like laughing at Bob's ex- He's not there, right? They're just laughing. I can't believe Bob did this, Bob did that. And in my mind, I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, don't say anything. Don't walk out, make a scene, don't shame anybody, but just don't say anything right now. Don't join in. And you know what I did? I joined in. Because... I'm an idiot. (laughs) No, because I'm walking in the flesh. And in that moment, I made a choice to not listen to the Holy Spirit. And it was clear as day. And I don't have these kind of weird things happen all the time. But it was clear as day that I just knew God was saying, don't participate in this. This isn't displaying the love and the grace of God. Don't do this. But yet my flesh is there battling against my spirit saying, yeah, but you'll look so good. You're so funny. Everybody will like you if you say something bad about Bob. And so I just pile on Bob, right? Which is like, I mean, it's so easy to do. Why not? And in that moment, I made a choice not to walk in the spirit, but to walk in the flesh. And we make hundreds of choices like that every day, don't we? Little bitty things that on their own seem, that's not so bad. And they all add up. You know what a bunch of steps add up to? A walk. And you take a bunch of steps in the flesh, you're walking in the flesh and walking in the flesh is death. So we're going to obey the spirit. We're going to take small steps. We're going to decide, hey, when that opportunity comes to say that thing or to clap back against my wife real quick in a fit of anger or rage, I'm going to take a moment. I'm just not going to do that because that's taking one small step to walk in the spirit. Thirdly, this one's a little bit harder. If you want to walk in the spirit, you've got to starve the flesh. You have to choke that flesh out actively every day in your life. Paul said it this way. I love this one simple sentence he says in the book of Romans. He says, we make no provision for the flesh. We give the flesh no opportunities in life. Let me give you some examples of this. Tonight, when your show comes on that you love, that's a lot different than what the gospel teaches, you got to let the Holy Spirit be in control, the remote control at your house. You know what I mean? Hey, what about this thing right here? Here you have anonymity and access to a whole lot of stuff. And you got to make some you got to make some decisions. You got to make some choices about how you're going to deal with this right here. You got to disconnect from it some. You got to get some accountability installed on it. You have to make decisions about how you treat this device. Hey, that moment when you're just wallowing in self-pity and in anxiety, one of the reasons you make no provision for the flesh in that moment is you have someone you can call and you can say, this is what I'm feeling right now. And you got to just shine the light on the dark stuff. But I will tell you this, if you're not starving the flesh, you're probably feeding it. And if you're feeding the flesh, it doesn't take much for that flesh to turn into a beast that you cannot control. And it shows up in a thousand different ways throughout your life. If you're going to walk in the spirit, you've got to make no provision for the flesh. You've got to starve it. The last thing is, 
you got to be connected to other people who are also walking in the Spirit. you got to be connected to other people who are also walking in the Spirit. Look, I want to know, I am almost literally preaching to the choir right here, but part of the reason Rachel and I make a decision for our primary goal every weekend is for our family to be in this house on Sunday. That's not important to me because I want my kids to hear the Bible. That's not important to me because, you know, it's just culturally what we do. No, being here every Sunday is important to us because right here is where they throw wood on the fire of the Holy Spirit in my life. And if I got to starve the flesh, I want to stoke the fire of the Spirit. And we do that by being here. We do that by hearing God's word. We do that by having small group at our house, three Sundays on, one Sunday off, all throughout the year. Why do we do that? There's sometimes where, let me just tell you something. We don't want to have small group at our house on Sunday night. We, Rachel doesn't want to clean the house on, two, on Sunday afternoon. I say we, right? We know who, we know who does that work, right? Two o'clock rolls around on Sunday. I'm taking a nap. Rachel's vacuuming the floor, cleaning the cabinets, whatever, whatever it goes in. I don't even know what all the steps are, all right? It's not easy. You know why we do that? Because we need other people in our life who are walking in the Spirit, throwing fire on our desire to, to walk in the Spirit. But here's the last thing. Can I just tell you this? I could give you the three or four steps, and that's all, that's all good. Here's the thing. Walking in the Spirit, for most of us, it's not about knowing how. It isn't. It's not about knowing how. It's just about do we want to or not. Do we really want to? Do I want to wake up every day and hand over my emotions, my thoughts, my reactions to the Spirit of God? Or do I just want to eat that Taco Bell bean burrito and just, just let my flesh take control? And I'll tell you this, if you leave here today and you say, I want to walk in the Spirit, I promise you, if that is your mindset every morning, every day that you want to walk in the Spirit, you'll figure out the house on your own. The Spirit will lead you to them. That's what's so great about this. It's just about wanting to walk in the Spirit. Let's pray together. I want you to assess for a minute your life. The first thing, there's some people here today, walking in the spirit and experiencing that life and peace isn't available to you yet. Not an option for you because you've never come to a time, a place, a reference point where you've said yes to Jesus, where you've recognized that your flesh is death and you're ready to walk in the spirit. Maybe if that's you today, for the very first time, you need to say, I'm going to turn away from my old living. That's broken. That's wrong. That's sinful. I'm out of that, and I'm in with Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And if you want to do that today, what he's going to do is he's going to say, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you, and you're going to walk with me. And if that's what you want to do, you can say a prayer inside your own heart, in your own words. There's no magic words about this to say, God, I I want to leave my old life behind. I want to follow you. I want to walk with your spirit. There's some people, you've had that moment in your life. But you're like me. And if you assessed your life today, you say, I spend most of my time walking in my own flesh, death flesh. And maybe your prayer in this moment just needs to be a commitment to God Give me the desire to walk in the Spirit. Father, we recognize today that our flesh is death. We recognize and we thank you that your Spirit gives us life and peace. That's the only source of life life and peace for us. 
God, would you make all of us a group of people who choose to walk in the Spirit? In your name I pray.